let's read about of Gandhi, Tagore is the most famous Indian of our time. His name is known to the educated all over the world from Japan to Scandinavia and from Moscow to Buenos Aires. In his own country he is venerated when he, he as a poet and philosopher in the tradition of the ancient rishis. The admiration he evokes has perhaps never been expressed more rapturously than by Kisreling. K-E-Y-S-E-R-L-I-N-G who said of him that he is the most universal, the most encompassing, the most complete human being I have known. Hmm? The most complete <laughs> human being. I have known. The Tagores are one of the finest families of Bengal. One of the first families of Bengal. They are not only great hereditary landowners, Zamindas, but are noted for their munificent patronage of art and literature. Originally, the Banerjees they are believed to have settled in the West Bengal about the 8th century CE, common era. In the 17th century, they received the appellation of Thakur, which means a respected lord. The name was later anglicized as Tagore. The Tagores were intimately connected with the social and cultural development of Bengal in the last century. Both the poet's father, Devendranath, and Dwarkanath, his grandfather, were leading members of the Brahm Samaj. Founded by Raja Ram Mohan Roy, this sect propagated theism and was strongly opposed to the idolatry and ritualism practiced by the majority of Hindus. But for the tireless labors of Devendranath and Dwarganath Tagore, it is safe to say that Brahma Samaj would not have exercised the far-reaching and many-sided influence it has on the modern Indian life. Defiance of orthodoxy appears indeed to be one of the characteristic traits of the Tagore family. At some time in the past, they are supposed to have broken caste rules by eating with Muslims. This offense cost them their place in the Brahman community. And notwithstanding their great wealth and prestige, they are still looked down upon with a certain contempt as Pirilis. Pirilis. Some native word I guess, yeah. No strictly orthodox Brahman would eat, either eat or intermarry with them. Dwarganath brushed aside then prevalent taboo against sea voyages and was one of the first Hindus to visit England. 
Devendranath evinced the same independence of spirit, but he was less hostile to orthodox Hinduism than either his father or the founder of the Brahmin Samaj. And in his later years, his countrymen united to accord him the title of Maharishi, Great Sage. Besides Ravindranath, its most dazzling star and his father, who wrote a remarkable autobiography, and his grandfather, the Tagore family, had supplied India with an astonishing galaxy of talent. Dujendranath, the poet's elder brother, was a philosopher and <clears throat> essayist of distinction, while Jyotindra, another brother, was an artist who won the praise of such discerning critics as Sir William Rothenstein. A third brother was the first Indian to enter the civil service, Abhinindranath and Gaganindranath, the poet's nephews, were artists of international renown. Recent and contemporary art in India owes an incalculable depth to them. Rabindranath was born on May 6, 1861. May 6, 1861, in the rambling on mentioned at Jurasanko, in the heart of Calcutta, where the family had lived for generations. It was a world in itself. This house, so vast and full of life, it was. Here, Rabindranath's spent a none-too-happy childhood. He lost his mother when very young. His father was a remote figure, austere and inaccessible, not often to be seen or spoken with. In these circumstances, the child's early upbringing developed largely on the trusted servants who play such a significant role in aristocratic Indian households. For schooling of the usual kind, Rabindranath had from the beginning a wholesome dislike. He was sent to the Bengal Academy and then to St. Xavier's, but his resolute refusal to be educated stood proof against authority and blandishment and he was allowed to study at home. He showed as little enthusiasm for private lessons as for the more formal discipline of the classroom. His mind was at once too eager and too dreamy, too independent and too sensitive to fall readily into the conventional ruts. <laughs> his father was an incessant traveller and took the boy with him on his wanderings. Ravindranath spent some time in the villages around Calcutta, making his first acquaintance with the lush fields and drifting sails and the simple peasant folk of rural Bengal. And in the course of leisurely journey to the northwest, he was able to steep his senses in the sights and sounds of the variegated pageant of that is India, from the mouths of the Ganga to the distant frontier. Distant frontier. Distant frontier. Frontier. He paid his visit to England in 1877. He was 
at Brighton School for a while, then joined University College London. When he's done to India, after about a year's absence, he brought back with him some unpleasant memories of England and a knowledge of Sir Thomas Brown's Religio Medici, which he had studied with Henry Mudley. Travel scarcely interrupted his literary output. He had begun to write verse almost as soon as he could walk. His work appeared in print before he was 15, and before he was 18, he had, he had published nearly 7,000 lines of verse and a great quantity of prose. In the Bhanu Singh poems, he reproduced the themes and melodies of the old Vaishnava poets with such success that many a scholar was misled into lauding them as newly discovered masterpieces of Bengali literature. There is very little of value in these early effusions. Ravindranath himself attached little importance to them if we may judge from the pieces he selected for the first collected edition of his poems. The prose work of this period has at least the virtue of displaying a comprehensive sweep of interest. In 1878, one number of Bharati, a magazine edited by his brother, contains articles on the Saxons and the Anglo-Saxon literature, Petrarch and Laura, Dante and his poetry, and on Goethe, all by Ravindranath. An essay entitled The Hope and Despair of Bengalis is notable for adumbrating a theme which was to exercise him a great deal after and after years, the necessity of the East and West to each other. In letters of a traveller to Europe, he described his experiences in the West and maintained that the social morality of Europe was in some respects superior to that of the East. In his early twenties, Ravindranath passed through a moment of mystical illumination. The first of many similar experiences which left a deep impression on him. We must relate it in his own words. One morning, he writes in his reminiscences, I happened to be standing on the veranda. The sun was just rising through the leafy tops of those trees. As I continued to gaze, all of a sudden a covering seemed to fall away from my eyes. And I found the world bathed in a wonderful radiance, with waves of beauty and joy swelling on every side. This radiance pierced in a moment through the folds of sadness and despondency which had accumulated over my heart and flooded it with this universal light. Evening songs have perhaps no intrinsic merit. This is a collection of poems, evening songs. But they mark an important stage in Ravindranath's development. They were soon followed by morning songs, a much better book in which the poet gave excellent and tumultuous expression to his newfound sense of inner freedom. Nature's Revenge, his first important drama, embodied one of the key thoughts of all his life, the joy of attaining the infinite within the finite. The love of Rahu in pictures and songs is held by some to be perhaps his greatest poem. The love of but the whole of this phrase, this phrase must be regarded as mainly experimental in character. It ended with the publication of Sharps and Flats, which is remarkable for the beauty of its sonnets, some of them among the loveliest in any language.
in the meantime ravindranath after a holiday in karwad on the west coast returned to calcutta and married shrimati melanini devi in addition to his other work he actively participated in the attempts to start a bengali literary academy and contributed frequently to various periodicals including balika a magazine for boys he was rapidly establishing himself as the best of the younger literary men of calcutta the bengali shelly always strikingly handsome he dressed at this time with much eccentricity and exquisiteness he is said to have introduced among educated bengalis the fashion of wearing long wavy hair and an apollonian beard my recognized Cognomen was the lisping poet, he says in his reminiscences. These years saw to the writing of a friendship with Pankim Chandra Chatterjee, the famous Bengali novelist. A friendship unfortunately broken by a long spell of estrangement following on a controversy over the neo-Hindu movement and the death of his older brother, Jyotri Rindra's wife. Rindranath was profoundly affected by this loss. He says, from now onwards, the thought of death is very present in his poetry. In 1887, he withdrew to Ghazipur in the United Provinces, intending to devote himself to sing to the single-minded worship of his muse. Here he wrote Mansi, his first fully mature work, savagely satirical in parts, but the life of semi-retirement and amid the famed roses of this provincial town pulled him on for long. He determined to leave Ghazipur and travel along the Grand Trunk Road to Peshawar in a bullock cart. But the plan was thwarted by his father's wish that he should go to Shilada on the Gangas to take charge of the family estates. The poet was just a little afraid of the name of work, but at last he consented. At Shilada, Ravindranath spent some of the happiest years of his life. Poet though he was, he showed himself not incapable of practical efficiency in the management of the estate. He was in intimate touch with common people and gained a first-hand knowledge of the rural problems of India, both in their technical and human aspects. He was surrounded by the Bengal landscape that he loved so well and delighted to describe its fields, and its canals, its ducks and its reed beds and he had the leisure and peace of mind necessary for the complete unfoldment of his genius. The spirit was rich in achievement. Not only did Ravindranath contribute for four years a ceaseless stream of essays, short stories and poems to sadhana, but he now revealed himself as a dramatist of the first rank. Sacrifice had been described as the greatest Bengali drama, while Chitraganda is one of the summits of his work, unsurpassed and unsurpassable in his kind. His lyrical powers too were at their height. Sonar Tari, a volume which exposed him to the charge of mysticism, was followed two years later by Chitra. In no other books has he attained to more single-minded adoration and celebration of beauty. The greatest poem of all in Chitra, Urbasi is perhaps the greatest lyric in all Bengali literature and probably the most unalloyed and perfect worship on beauty which the world's 
literature contains sadkana incomparably the best periodical bengal has ever known ceased publication in 1896 and with it the first purely aesthetic phase of ravindranath's life came to an end his restless spirit sought for some more solid and significant belief than art for art's sake Besides political preoccupations were beginning to weigh on him, Bengal, like the rest of India, was witnessing a national revival. British rule was being assailed with increasing vehemence, and Ravindranath, who had till then preserved an aristocratic detachment, found himself drawn more and more into these popular movements. Inevitably, he became a leader of the English. I have too much read of English Renaissance. he says he became a leader of the indian renaissance opposed as he was to foreign rule he was even more strongly critical of the servile and cringing attitude of so many indian politicians of the time he exhorted them to cease blaming the british raj for all the ills of india and to turn their zeal into the channels of educational and social reform that lay well within their power in order to resurrect for his countrymen idols in harmony with the national genius he delved into india's past he lectured on the upanishads and of the civilization of aryan india he extolled the valor and self-reliance of maharattas sikhs and rajputs and he endeavored to popularize these themes not only by use of the colloquial idiom as in kanishka in itself a revolutionary departure but by the adaptation of a simple ballad form in katha and kahani But the most enduring memorial of this time is Shanti Niketan, the world famous school, on a site two miles out of Bolpur, whither the Maharishi was wont to repair for communion with nature, was founded in 1901. Here, Ravindranath hoped to recapture the meditative calm of ancient India and provide an environment where the mind of the young might expand into love of beauty and of God. Some of the best educational methods of the West were copied at Shantiniketan. <sighs> Before many years had passed, the school came to be looked upon as a model institution. Among those who gave devoted service to it, a number of eminent Indian scholars and artists. And in addition to the poet himself, some of his English friends, notably W. W. Pearson and Reverend C. F. Andrews. The next few years were as busy as they were full of grief. Ravindranath's wife died in November 1902. His second daughter was ill with consumption. In a vain attempt to save the child, he took her to Almore in the Himalayas, where he nursed her for many anxious months. She died in 1904. In 1905, his father, the venerable Ravindranath, passed away. Almost two years later, at Mongir, his first son. He was a very sweet boy. The suffering caused by the successive bereavements is reflected in his poetry. In Smaran and in Kheya. It was, however, during these years that he wrote most of his novels, including Gora. a long story with the fullness of detail of the russian novel 
the partition of bengal had now become a burning issue the whole country was seething with excitement indian nationalism in one of its core struggles with the government had no more effective champion than ravindranath tagore he made innumerable speeches and wrote innumerable articles the songs he composed were sung by patriotic youths in every province he started national schools formed village committees and was active in a hundred other ways yet in the midst of all this disillusionment grew he despised the politicians and their endless petty squabbles weighed him so suddenly he resigned from the political committees and organization which with which he had been associated and withdrew to Shantiniketan watched by the police and abused by many of his countrymen he lived in a strenuous retirement during the next few years political and social problems definitely yielded place in his mind to religion he would often talk to the boys in his school on religious subjects and these talks were subsequently collected and issued in a series of volumes entitled Shantiniketan he wrote a group of symbolical plays autumn festival the king of the dark chamber the post office and he wrote gitanjali this was not his first book of religious poetry nebedya had come in 1901 but nebedya was uh, as much an experiment in form and patriotic hymnology as a lyrical expression of religious sentiment the inspiration of gitanjali is clear and unsullied it is the authentic voice of one who from much suffering had attained joy serenity some passages in it metalink said are among the loftiest most profound and most <laughs> divinely human ever written have you read that poem about the flower who is eager to be of some use in gitanjali in 1911 ravindranath emerged from his seclusion and plunged once more into public work he exerted himself to heal the breach and between the different sects into which the brahma samaj had been split for, for many years his efforts were no of no avail and he went back to shantiniketan the next year his jubilee was celebrated in bengal with immense eclat shortly after he sailed to england happy but tired and ill he had taken a short holiday in europe in 1890 and before that when he was about 20 he had set out for england to study law but had turned back at madras because his companion or older nephew suffered so much from sea sickness that it was impossible for him to continue his the voyage and Ravindranath was in no mood to face the rigors of english life for the second time without a friend at his side arriving in at london in the spring of 1912 he found himself just as lonely and wretched as on his first visit in 1877 everyone seemed like phantoms then it occurred to me to try to get into touch with rothenstein At Rothenstein's, he met Yeats, Stockford, Brooke, Nevinson, and others who at once recognized the profound beauty of his poems, even in translation. 
an English publisher was found for them. A special edition of Gitanjali was brought out and had splendid reception from the public. Not since Fitzgerald's Omar Khayyam won its vogue has many Eastern poetry won such, access, uh, such acceptance. After a visit to America, Ravindranath returned to Shantiniketan in the autumn of 1913. He universally recognized as one of the foremost poets of the age. Within a few weeks of his arrival, the Nobel Prize for Literature was conferred on him. Calcutta University hastened to crown him with academic rollers, laurels. In 1914, he was knighted. During these years, when his fame was spreading over the world, he wrote The Gardener, The Crescent Moon, The Cycle of Spring, The Home and the World, a long novel, and Balaka, the greatest of his books. In 1916, he delivered a series of lectures on nationalism in Japan and on personality in the United States. The Great War intensified the loathing with which Arundhati had always regarded the nationalism and militarism of the West. But also it gave a fillet to the national awakening in India. Political tension was even more acute than in days of the Bengal. Partition and following on the shootings at Amritsar in 1919 Ravindranath felt compelled to resign his knighthood as a gesture of protest. It was about this time that Mr. Gandhi came into Ravindranath's life. He and some of his disciples stayed for a while at Shantiniketan on their return from South Africa in 1915. Much as the poet admired the political saint, there was a deep difference between them, difference with which rose to the surface when Gandhi launched the non-corporation movement. Ravindranath was profoundly opposed to it. He condemned this narrowness of spirit. He feared its further consequences. He deplored the effect it was having on the lives of the young. And he derided the glorification of the charkha. Winter is coming. He was fiercely attacked for this attitude but would not be shaken from it. Quietly he pursued what he held to be the true ideal of nationalism and internationalism by founding the Institute of World Culture, Vishwa Bharti, and by starting a starting a department of rural reconstruction, Sriniketan, to develop the village welfare work that he had begun in 1914. Meanwhile his popularity abroad was on the increase. a cult of his works sprang up in the decade of 1920 and 1930 he undertook no less than seven extensive lecture tours in the west in europe and america and throughout the east he was everywhere welcomed with enthusiasm and made countless friends and admirers but towards the end of this period a reaction set in mysticism and religiosity came to be identified with his name and his reputation suffered In 1930 he visited the Soviet Union and was favorably impressed by much that he saw there. His Hibbert lectures on the religion of man was were delivered in 1931. To mark his 70th birthday a memorial volume was presented to him with contributions from Einstein, Hendrik Mann, Bertrand Russell and many others. Rabindranath's literary achievement is prodigious. It overshadows everything else. It should be recorded.
however that he was not only poet playwright and novelist but a musician actor painter composer philosopher journalist teacher orator and a host of other things stand distinguished himself in each of these very different roles there is no more versatile prolific and gifted genius in history he drew his inspiration chiefly from two sources the sanskrit poets of the classical age and the medieval vaishnav lyrics they represent two of the central traditions of indian history the secular aristocratic tradition and the religious fervor of the masses blending these with the lofty mysticism of the upanishads ravindranath achieved a distinctive synthesis which is perfect an expression as it perhaps possible to have of the spirit of india besides as a craftsman a matter master of words he exercised an enormous influence on <coughs> languages of india particularly on bengali which became in his own lifetime and largely through his own work a vigorous and flexible tongue equal to the needs of the present century Dorovindranath shrank from the rough and tumble of politics he had a vivid awareness of the plight of his country under foreign rule he constantly inveighed against the system which destroyed freedom and condemned millions to miserable and poverty stricken lives there is reason to think that of late he has grown more conscious than ever of the importance of doing away with imperialism and the greed and violence ingrained in it but he has never ceased to urge with all his eloquence that the subject nation struggling for independence should not acquire the aggressive vices of its rulers but seek to understand other people and discover ways of cooperating with them in the common cause of civilization hmm but he has never ceased to urge with his all eloquence that the subject nation struggling for independence should not acquire the aggressive vices of its rulers but seek to understand other peoples and discover ways of cooperating with them in the common cause of civilization during the last few years he has been in very poor health his intellectual powers however are unimpaired and from time to time he has raised his voice in indignant protest at the barbarism and bloodshed that have been released in many parts of the world barbarism bloodshed but his intellectual powers however were impaired unimpaired from the time to time he had raised his voice this was on ravindranath tagore rabindranath 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 by dr k s shelwankar rabindranath tagore